Please be seated. So I thank our good and holy seminarian, Dominic, for filling in for me last week. If you remember, I've been going through sort of virtues that I see sort of emphasized or exemplified by our Lord's in the Stations of the Cross and in his Passion. And today I will deal with humility. Paul says that Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Christ humbled himself. In Greek, this is called a kenosis, which literally means like a self-emptying. Christ emptied himself and became obedient unto death. Humility is defined as the proper recognition of oneself. So it's a virtue which is rooted in truth, the truth about yourself, both who you are and who you are not. Spiritual writers will say that humility is the foundation of the spiritual life. They will call it the root of all virtues. You have charity, which is the greatest of all the virtues, but you have humility, which is the root of all virtue. It separates us from pride, which is the root of all sin. And spiritual writers will sort of compare the entire spiritual life to a building, and they would point out that if you want to build a lofty building, you have to dig down and excavate a worthy foundation for support, and that's what humility does. It is sort of the support which we build the edifice of every other virtue. So with respect to God, humility is the abasement of oneself before God. As the Fourth Lateran Council says, there is an infinite difference between the Creator, God, and the created us. And so we have to sort of recognize our little, littleness before God. And what ultimately happens, as you see in the lives of the saints, is that when they recognize their littleness, they actually have this serene joy and peace. It's as if God comes to that soul And that soul can abandon itself in humility to God, and God actually then scoops the soul and lifts it up to him, which leads to this peace and this serene joy. And so the first way that we have to recognize our littleness before God is his God, the creator. We ultimately depend upon God at every moment of our existence. As Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things because of your will. They came to be and were created. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, created us so that we could share in his own life. So we depend upon God for our existence. And as Acts says, in him we live and move and have our being. God must continuously hold us into existence. And so there is the old saying amongst the philosophers that if God ceased to think about us, we would cease to exist, which is all right because God always thinks about us, right? He's a subsisting intellect. And you see in Psalm 39, indeed, my life is has nothing before you. We have this complete and utter dependence upon God for existence. So no matter what we do after that, the very fact that we exist in the first place depends entirely upon God. We also have to recognize our littleness before God's providence. As Wisdom 12.15 says, But as you are righteous, you govern all things righteously. 
The Lord does whatever he wills. Nothing falls outside of his providence. Everything falls within the divine providence and the divine plan. And what this means, and it's very, very difficult, but we have to do it. We have to accept what divine providence has given to us in regard to our state in life, right? To some, God gives great and natural talents. To others, he gives less. I see this with priests, right? There's a lot of priests that are a lot better than I, but that is the divine will. God makes some rich, he makes others poor. He gives some fame, others, like St. Joseph, lead a hidden and quiet life. God gives some a lot of adversity. Others seem to have, at least on the surface, an easier life. But ultimately, we have to accept all of this from God. Because God has willed certain situations for each one of us. He's willed states in life, married, single, priest, religious. He has willed that we live in certain places and have certain jobs. And all of that is because God has laid out a path of sanctity and to the kingdom of heaven for each one of us. And we are completely dependent upon that providence. And we have to learn not to fight it, but to hand ourselves over to it. If I walked around all day grumpy because I was not a monk, which is always a tendency, right? Especially when I have meetings. But if I did that, I would not be embracing the vocation which God has given me. He has called me to a certain place and to a certain vocation. And I have to sort of abandon myself in humility to that. We also completely dependent upon God's grace. Paul says that not that of ourselves we are qualified to take credit for anything has coming from us. Rather, our qualification comes from God. The graces which Paul was given, he was giving them in abundance, ultimately all came from God. And that's why in Corinthians he says, what do you possess that you have not received? Everything which we have been given is a gift from God. He's given us the Eucharist. He's given us our faith. He's given us the priesthood. Everything is a grace from God. And that is why our Lord in John says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. Notice what he says. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He does not say, without me, you can do some things. You can, you know, kind of build a house maybe. Or you could sort of advance in the natural order. He doesn't say that. He says, without me, you can do nothing. The complete and utter dependence which we have upon God which we must recognize. This dependence upon God as our creator would have been true no matter what happened in the Garden of Eden. But after we have sinned, we are even more dependent upon God. So sinfulness, when we reflect upon ourselves in the state which we are in, we see our sinfulness, we see our vices, we see our poor habits, We see our addictions, as the book of Proverbs says, the just man sins seven times a day. The just man, even him, sins seven times a day. All of these sins are an offense against the infinite majesty and goodness and mercy and love of God. And so we have to recognize our sinfulness and humble ourselves before God, as Psalm 51, which is like the penitential psalms, or penitential prayer par excellence. It says, For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your eyes. We have to recognize our own sinfulness because that ultimately allows us to recognize God's mercy and goodness. 
That's the key with humility. We sort of empty ourselves out and then God fills us. So we're not filling ourselves with ourselves. We're filled with God. And even when it comes to sins, we often miss our own sins. As we get closer and closer to God, the common response is we identify more and more our sinfulness. My old old formator used to say, the irony of the spiritual life is that the holier you get, the longer your confessions are because you recognize more and more your own sinfulness. And so the psalmist says, cleanse me from my inadvertent sins. He recognized deeply his own sinfulness. So that's our humility, our complete and utter dependence upon God for existence, for grace, and for forgiveness. And then this humility, like all the virtues, should flow out to our neighbor. So, as St. Augustine says in, under A there, there is not a sin committed by another which I could not commit because of my, and that's a typo, because of my frailty. And if I have not committed it, it is because God in his mercy has not permitted it and kept me in the good. So notice St. Augustine. He recognizes his own littleness before God. He recognizes his complete dependence upon God. And so any righteousness with Augustine saw in himself, and there would have been a lot, he immediately attributes to God. But notice also what happens then. Augustine is not critical of others because he recognizes if he sees somebody else sinning, He knows that the only reason that's not him sinning is because of the grace of God. And so he's aware of his own humility, his own lowliness, and so he is not critical and he is not judgmental of others. He is just thankful to God. He is thankful for the grace which God has given him, and he's also focused on his own sinfulness. And so Garagou Lagrange, my old spiritual master, he says, if this man had received the same graces that I have received, For so many years, he's talking about seeing sort of a criminal, perhaps he would have been less unfaithful than I. And if God permitted in my life the mistakes that he permitted in his, he would be in my place and I in his. Lagrange is saying that even a criminal who maybe had been given the same graces that Lagrange had would have been even better than Garagou Lagrange. And so we should not pass judgment on others. We should just acknowledge our own humility and our own dependence upon grace. Ultimately, then, this humility towards others flows into service, as we see in Matthew 28, 20, 28. He says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility ultimately doesn't lead one to sort of be scared of everything. It does actually the opposite. The humble person strives for great things. Jesus Christ, who is the most humble, strived for the greatest thing, which is the redemption of the world. But the humble person does it soberly and in a manner that is in accord with God because they strive for everything only by the grace of God. And so the humble person is moved by the gifts of the Holy Spirit and moved by the divine will to strive for great things, but only because they know they are supported by the grace of God. Finally, I think it's worth looking at sort of levels of humility according to the saints. And so the first thing we have to do is avoid self-praise. Our Lord says, when you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Seeking the approval of others is ultimately a vanity. We want to be noticed because of our own pride. 
The humble person, like St. Joseph, is happy to be noticed only by God. Because ultimately, as St. Anthony of Padua says, what a man is before God, that he is, and no more. What a man is before God, that is what he is, and no more. We also, if we're going to practice humility, we have to receive correction. One of the toughest things they ask us to do in seminary is receive correction. But as the proverb says, fools think their own way is right. But the wise listen to advice. The humble recognizes that God has situated and set up a supernatural hierarchy. There's an order. And so I have superiors. And I, there are people who have received more grace than I and who are smarter than I. And I have to recognize that. And I have to listen to them. I have to receive correction from them. And ultimately, I have to obey my superiors. Again, another verse from Proverbs. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom for the future. There's this famous story of St. Thomas. He's a novice, so he's in his second year studying to become a Dominican friar. And he has a test, a Latin test. And Thomas was probably the greatest Latinist of the Middle Ages. But he's reading a passage in Latin. And his professor corrects him unjustly. Thomas had actually pronounced the word correctly, but his professor said that it was wrong. And Thomas knew this, but Thomas accepted the correction, pronounced the word incorrectly, according to his professor, and then continued on. And afterwards, his brother novices came up to Thomas, and they said, Thomas, why did you do that? You knew that you pronounced the word correctly. And Thomas said, I figure in the eyes of God, it is better to have bad grammar than to miss out on humility and obedience. Thomas accepted the correction, even though it was unjust, because it was a lawful authority. Finally, or second to last, there is the humble tend to have this love of contempt. Why? Because Christ ultimately received contempt. And so the more sort of we are spurned by the world and by the unjust, the more we conform ourselves to Christ. And so St. John of the Cross constantly prayed to God that he wanted to be despised and to suffer for the love of God. Why? Because that was the most Christ-like thing he could do. Christ who was traded for Barabbas. Christ who was crucified with thieves. That's what John of the Cross wanted. He wanted to be like Christ. And I'll leave you then, of course, with the last words given by St. Thomas. He says, The servant of God ought always to consider himself a beginner and always tend toward a more perfect and holier life without stopping. Those are the words of a humble soul and the words of someone who reached high sanctity. Always consider ourselves beginners. Always strive toward a more perfect and holy life without stopping.